0: Welcome to U News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, September 1st. I'm Lorraine Casares. These are today's headlines. President Trump visits Kenosha, Wisconsin, ignoring requests to stay away from the governor and town's mayor. Joe Biden criticizing President Trump from the campaign trail, accusing him of stoking division while unrest grows in several American cities. And coronavirus cases on the rise in the Midwest, while flattening in the South, as the U.S. tops 6 million cases. This and much more today on U News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Kenosha, Wisconsin, still coping with the recent police shooting of Jacob Blake and subsequent protests that turned deadly after a 17-year-old shooter opened fire on demonstrators. And today, President Trump moving ahead with his plans of visiting that city. This despite officials urging him to reconsider his trip. Meanwhile, in Portland, authorities are trying to crack down on protests after weeks of unrest. Andrea Linares has the latest.
1: Today, President Trump visiting Kenosha, Wisconsin, going against the wishes of the state's governor and Kenosha's mayor.
2: I'm disappointed that he is coming. The president is always welcome, but at this time, it's just the wrong time. Right now is a time for us to heal and to be able to look inward and deal with the issues that we have to deal with.
1: The White House says Trump will survey damage and speak with law enforcement officials. Some saying his visit will do little to heal the city's wounds in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting. However, the president says otherwise.
3: It could also increase enthusiasm and it could increase love and respect for our country.
1: President Trump also defended Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenager accused of fatally shooting two demonstrators in Kenosha.
3: He was trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like, and he fell, and then they very violently attacked him. He probably would have been killed, but it's under, it's under investigation.
1: But he says he does not believe private citizens should be taking up arms at protests.
3: I'd like to see law enforcement take care of everything, but again, we have to give our cops back, our police back their dignity.
1: Unrest in some American cities are now a major talking point for Trump's re-election campaign. Protests have also continued for more than 90 nights in Portland. Police identifying the man shot and killed over the weekend as 39-year-old Aaron J. Danielson. He was wearing a hat with the insignia of Patriot Prayer, a far-right group that supports the president. But friends say he was not a radical. Aaron J. Danielson was not a radical. He was not a racist. And he was not a fascist. He was not an insider or an instigator. He was a freedom-loving American who died expressing his beliefs, a right which is guaranteed to all of us through the Constitution. Meanwhile, Joe Biden criticized the president's rhetoric from a campaign stop in Pittsburgh.
4: He may believe mouthing the words law and order makes him strong, but his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is.
1: Biden also denouncing all violence from both the right and the left. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf has sent a letter to Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler urging him to request federal assistance to restore law and order for his city, or else the federal government will have no choice but to protect its citizens. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News.
0: Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And for more on the president's agenda in Kenosha, let's go to Edwin Pitti. He's in Washington, D.C. with the latest. Edwin.
2: Hi, Lorraine. In just moments, the president will be landing in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he is scheduled to meet with local police and also members of the National Guard. According to the president, he wants to personally thank them for the amazing job they did a couple of weeks ago, putting up fires after many protests turned out violent. The president adding that he's blaming the Democratic Party for their leadership and how that has been leading to more violence in the city, saying that they are playing politics and they don't want to ask him for help because he knows exactly how to deal without problem. This is what the President said before he left Washington. Let's listen.
3: I think a lot of people are looking at what's happening to these Democrat-run cities and they're disgusting. They see what's going on and they can't believe this is taking place in our country. I can't believe it either. One of the reasons I'm making the trip today and going to Wisconsin is we've had such a big success in shutting down what would be right now a city that would have been Kenosha a city that would have been burnt to the ground by now. And uh, we're going to really uh, say hello to law enforcement and the National Guard. Lorraine, the
2: president also said that he's willing to do whatever it takes to help the community there. He's scheduled to tour some of the destruction, and also he's going to be having a round table with members of the police, the National Guard, and the community. The president adding that he has heard directly from African Americans and also Hispanics that they need the police to help them deal with crime and also to keep their neighbors safe. Again, the president really, really making clear that he's the president of law and order, so he will do whatever it takes to have their back but the president is not going to be meeting as of now with the family of jacob blake and this is the reason he gave to the media let's listen
3: Uh, they wanted me to speak but they wanted to have lawyers involved and i thought that was inappropriate so i didn't do that but i did speak with the pastor of the family who's a fine man a wonderful man and uh, i think we had a great talk and uh, i may at some point you know do that
2: Now, just moments ago, the president spoke with the pastors of the family, and he said that he's going to meet with them as soon as he gets to Kenosha. But the president left it open. That means that anything could happen, either a visit to Jacob Blake's at the hospital or meeting with the family. But again, that is not in the president's agenda right now. But many people are criticizing the president exactly for that, because they understand, the president understand, that Kenosha County has become a swing area, and he just wants the Republican Party to do well there in the next election in November. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And joining me now is Ruth Conniff. She's the editor-in-chief at the Wisconsin Examiner. Thanks for being here, Ruth. You've spoken to several Kenosha residents about the president's visit. What's the mood like there?
5: People are tense. They're worried about what's going to happen when Trump lands. Um, They're aware of his tweets over the weekend in which he was praising as patriots the Trump supporters in Portland who rolled into town uh, with guns and rammed some protesters with a pickup truck. Um, They're aware that he has said that Kyle Rittenhouse defended him, basically saying that he um, shot and killed two people in self-defense. There's really no evidence that it was self-defense. You know, it it seems like a campaign event for Donald Trump in a community that is really not looking to be at the center of uh, Trump politics. And there's a real worry about additional militia types coming in with guns, the possibility for fanning the flames, and there being more violence. So people are tense. They're worried. Some of the people who have been protesting the shooting of Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back by a Kenosha police officer. Are holding a rally today separate from the Trump event. They're trying not to become a campaign backdrop. And so they're going to a different part of the city uh, where Jacob Blake was shot in order to try to bring the community together and talk about healing and moving forward. But the president is coming despite the fact that both the mayor and the governor have asked him not to and see him as a divisive figure who's likely to cause more disruption and violence, not any kind of healing.
0: And Ruth, the governor and the mayor asked the president, as you were saying, to reconsider his trip, but seven Kenosha County board supervisors asked the president to come. Is this a sign of political and local division?
5: Sure. I mean, Kenosha is very divided. And this is part of the reason that the, the president is coming, because this is a critical area for him to win in the 2020 election. It's a swing area. In Kenosha County, President Trump won by 238 votes in 2016. Uh, it's a Democratic city in a Republican congressional district. Paul Ryan, the former speaker of the House, represented that district for 20 years. Um, so it's, it's right on the edge. It's a manufacturing area where the GM plant closed. And it's the kind of area that Trump hopes to win, to convince uh, blue-collar, sometimes Democratic voters to vote for him. Uh, So there is a lot of division in the community. You see people who are Trump supporters, and you see people who are real Trump opponents.
0: And, uh, Ruth, speaking of the election, is the president's law and order message resonating with local residents?
5: With some. I mean, you saw a lot of destruction in downtown Kenosha. The buildings are boarded up in the downtown area, and there's a sense of worry about destruction. But there's something very disingenuous about Trump himself campaigning against violence. When the violence that's been perpetrated in Kenosha was first by a Kenosha police officer who shot. Jacob Blake seven times in the back, and then by a Trump supporter who sat in the front row at a Trump rally in January who brought his gun to the protests. He lives in Illinois and shot three people, killing two of them. So the actual violence has not been perpetrated by the protesters who are objecting to police violence. And I think that the president is, uh, you know, obscuring that fact very deliberately by talking about protecting people from violence. I don't think a lot of people think he's gonna bring a sense of calm or healing or bringing people together today.
0: Well, we'll definitely be watching the developments of the day there. Thank you so much, Ruth Conniff of the Wisconsin Examiner. Black Lives Matters protesters gathered in South Los Angeles Monday night after sheriff's deputies shot and killed a black man. The shooting is being investigated, but here's what we know so far. Officials say the deputies were trying to stop the unidentified man for code violations relating to the bike he was riding. Deputies say he took off and when they cut off to him, a fight broke out. They say the man punched one of them and dropped clothing that was allegedly concealing a handgun. Deputies shot him several times, but it's unclear how many times. And it's been six months since the first confirmed cases of coronavirus in the U.S. were reported, and the country has now surpassed six million cases. The president, meanwhile, taking aim at Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying he was inherited and not chosen to be part of the White House task force. Here's the very latest a drop in coronavirus cases nationwide. Deaths are on the rise in more than 20 states. In Detroit, the city's nearly 1,000 victims honored Monday with a special funeral procession, along with hundreds of billboards showing the faces of those lost. Meanwhile, the president on Fox taking aim at Dr. Anthony Fauci.
3: I disagree with a lot of what he said. He said, keep it uh, open for China. That was a big mistake, and he admits it. Uh, I just, I get along with him, but every once in a while he'll come up with one that I say, where did that come from? I inherited him. He was here. He was a part of this huge piece of machinery. I didn't put anybody in charge.
0: As the battle over schools reopening continues, new analysis from the American Academy of Pediatrics finding while children remain less likely to have severe symptoms from the virus, COVID rates this summer among children increased faster than they did for the general public, though experts don't know why yet. Similarly to adults, we do see that um, black and brown children are more significantly affected by COVID infection and, and, to, and, and may be more likely to have more severe illness. Teachers around the country fighting school districts, New York City teachers threatening to go on strike for the first time in nearly 50 years amid concerns about COVID-19 safety protocols.
4: We'll know shortly over the next couple of days if we're going to have
6: a major war.
0: In Massachusetts, teachers refusing to enter their school during preparations for the students' return instead of working outside on picnic tables and beach chairs. Their school committee now pursuing legal action against them. And teachers in Volusia County, Florida, voicing outrage after they say they were told the school district won't tell staff and parents about COVID-19 cases, instead leaving it up to the health department.
1: Parents have the right to know what kind of environment they're sending their students into. Uh, Employees have the right to know. What kind of working conditions they're going into.
0: They says in colleges and universities, 20,000 cases are being reported in 36 states. Scenes like this one near the University of South Carolina creating the outbreaks. And Dr. Fauci responded to the president's comment, saying they are not on this. They are on the same team and the comment does not relate to what happens all the time. Meanwhile, the U.S. Agriculture Department is extending a free school meal program to millions of children. The program allows families in need to pick up free food from any convenient school campus, even if their child is not enrolled there. In the past, this program was only offered during summer months when school is not in session. Now, the expanded program allows for free meals to be provided at any time during the day, whether kids are on site or learning virtually. It's estimated that around 30 million children children benefit from the school lunches each day. And in vaccine news, a global survey Ipsos conducted for the World Economic Forum shows that 74% of people are willing to get a coronavirus vaccine. The issue... Experts say that number isn't high enough to stop the infection from spreading. Of course, the results are depending on where you live. Ninety seven percent of respondents in China, for example, said they get would get a vaccine, while only 54 percent of Russians are interested in the U.S. two thirds of those surveyed would say they would get a vaccine. The most common concern among Americans not interested in a vaccine is the possibility of side effects. And today we're learning more about a controversial proposal regarding a U.S.-made vaccine for the coronavirus. As Jorge Hernandez describes, the move to potentially fast track the release of a U.S. vaccine has medical experts concerned
4: thank you mr president for your leadership the director of the u.s food and drug administration is once again the focus of controversy in an interview with the financial times stephen Hans said he has not ruled out approving emergency use of a coronavirus vaccine even before the end of phase three trials some scientists, however, believe that if this happens, the FDA will be moving in the wrong direction. These vaccines must complete the phases because phase 3 will not only serve si to see no, if it works no, or not, but basically to know the type of the adverse, adverse effects, that effects that it could have. have. Dr. Huerta himself is a volunteer in a COVID-19 vaccine trial by pharma giant Moderna. He believes that this decision could respond to political rather than scientific pressures. However, the head of the FDA has denied that, saying that the legal, medical and scientific criteria would be based on the benefit outweighing the risk, considering that we are in the middle of a health emergency. This doctor agrees with the FDA's vision. If there are indications that the drug is safe and, in addition to that, it is effective there is a tendency to authorize this type of drug without phase three, considering the urgency that it is a pandemic and the number of lives to be saved. But the FDA and its director have been in the eye of the storm before for having made controversial decisions. Hydroxychloroquine that the president recommended until studies said that it is not good, then the use of plasma without a placebo study. And precisely because of the FDA criticism, public distrust of vaccine is growing. As shown in surveys, prominent experts are calling for the creation of an independent commission to review the data from vaccine trials before they are allowed to go to market. Jorge Hernandez, U News.
0: And joining me now is Dr. Carlos Del Rio. He's an epidemiologist and executive associate dean of Emory University School of Medicine. Thanks for being here, Dr. Del Rio. There are 20,000 known coronavirus cases in colleges across the country. What impact does that have on the community surrounding those colleges?
7: Well, I think we still have to see what the impact is, right? People that are in colleges are in contact with the community, and I expect that as outbreaks are occurring and cases are increasing in colleges, there will be an impact in those communities. But we we still have to see how it's dealt with at at different colleges, and I think it will be very different in different communities.
0: Doctor, this week, the term herd immunity has resurfaced because a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force reportedly advocated for it. Talk to us about herd immunity. Is it a viable strategy?
7: Well, first of all, let's say that herd immunity is something that we speak a lot in infectious disease. And what it means is that once you get a certain percentage of the population immune, either because they develop the disease or they're being vaccinated, That means you don't need to vaccinate or get everybody else immune because it's a level of protection. I like the term rather than herd. I like community immunity, community protection. In a disease like COVID, we estimate that you will need about 60 to 70% of the population to have the so-called herd immunity. In other words, to be infected or to have been vaccinated. If we have a vaccine, herd immunity is feasible. And what it tells you is that you don't need to vaccinate 100 percent of the population to have that effect. But without a vaccine, just doing it on its own, the, the herd immunity, while it's possible, it will be catastrophic since the number of people that will need to get sick and therefore die as a consequence of this infection it's exceedingly high. Hi. The estimates are that you would see anywhere between another half a million to maybe as many as two million people die as a consequence of COVID if we take the strategy. So it's not it, it's viable, but it's a terrible strategy.
0: It's a horrible number. The White House strategy seems to be waiting on a vaccine, though. Emory is involved in phase three trials of the Moderna vaccine. What is the latest on the vaccine development front?
7: Well, a lot of things. I mean, today also AstraZeneca started their phase three study. I think there's a lot of things. The The, the vaccine front is exciting. It's, it's coming around very well. Phase three studies are going on. But again, it's going to take for those studies to be completed before we can say a vaccine works. So we need to get to the end of the study. Vaccine. Well, the vaccines... Uh, uh, scene is very interesting, it's very good, and I think we're making progress, but it's gonna take some time for the studies to be completed.
0: And doctor, staying on the vaccine, I wanna talk to you about something that was said this week, the FDA saying they're willing to approve the vaccine before the phase three trials are, are concluded. What do you have to say about that?
7: I'm very concerned about that because we know phase three trials are about efficacy. Approving something without knowing that it works will be a terrible mistake. And I just, I sure hope that the FDA does not do this because the reality is we want to develop a vaccine safely and effectively, and if we don't do that, we're gonna have a problem. So approving a vaccine, I wouldn't even know which one of the many vaccines to approve. So I think it's probably not a good thing to do and I worry about that and so do many other people.
0: And my last question, doctor, the U.S. reached six million cases this week, a quarter of the world's total. Russia, for instance, just passed one million cases. How is the u.s doing compared to other wealthy nations
7: well i mean the u.s is doing the worst of any nation but the good news is that cases are beginning to slow down in the u.s because we you know while the you said the white house strategy is waiting for a vaccine i think the population has realized that we have a vaccine right now and that vaccine is called use a face mask social distance, wash your hands. I think if 95 percent of the population starts doing that, we will see a decrease in the number of cases. And in fact, we're beginning to see that. So I would encourage people to wear a face mask, watch your distance, wash your hand, because if we do that, we can actually slow spread of this virus.
0: Well, thank you so much for your insight and your time, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, epidemiologist and executive associate dean of Emory University School of Medicine.
6: Your News, Your World, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. They swore eternal love to each other and have lived a long life together. While Ramira Quinteros is 104 years old and Julio Cesar Mora, 110. They have been married for 79 years. And that makes them the holders of the Guinness World Record for the longest marriage in the world. Very happy, very calm to have fulfilled God and to have fulfilled my children. This Ecuadorian couple met by chance during a visit. Julio Cesar won her over with flowers and poetry. He wrote to her several poems like this one. The best thing in my life for me is my wife. They have a record of consistency. They say the secret is to have discipline and understanding. To give each other an explanation, to recognize that we have done something that's not right, and to return to lead a quiet life of not lying and to do good to those who need it. They got married in 1941. Since then, they've had five children, 11 grandchildren. Twenty-one great-grandchildren and nine great-great-grandchildren, a proud family. They have been a model for all of us, where we have always found affection and generosity. They are a complement to harmony, peace, love, delicateness, confidence, and commitment. Gualdramira and Julio César have a combined age of 214 years and 358 days. And still, they are a clear example of an ideal loving relationship. Reported by Freddy Barros, this is Azul Álvarez, U News.
0: Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.